Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Sunday morning service for August the 9th, 2020. Great to be back with you. We have been away for a couple of weeks on vacation, but it is great to be with you again and to worship with you. And I want to thank uh, the team for doing so well in uh, music and all of this technological stuff that we have been doing during the pandemic has just been outstanding. And uh, Terrence and Pam are going to lead us uh, this morning. And uh, that pre, pre-service set was done by Sean. And uh, just so grateful for people using their time and their talents and their giftings uh, today. But uh, let me just open the service in prayer. And I encourage you, wherever you are, your backyard, your front yard, your sofa, your phone, your car, wherever you are, just to think about these words and to take the opportunity to worship God. You know, there are many people uh, around the world and they don't have the freedoms that we have and they don't have the the situation that we have here in this nation. And we need to be grateful. We need to be thankful to God. Uh, for for his grace and for his mercy and for another day that we get to worship and to praise him father we thank you for the opportunity we have god you gave us the breath of life again today and uh, we we're we're up and at him and and lord uh, we want to meet with you today and we want to have a sense uh, of your presence and even uh, a sense of community even though we can't be with one another in the same place just yet uh, Lord we are so thankful that we can we can still have that uh, that that anointing that that sense and that presence of your spirit and that understanding that we are the body of Christ wherever we are so Lord help us today I, I pray for those who, have had weeks that have just been just exhausting uh lord i i pray for for jackie and her family as they as they laid her mom to rest yesterday i pray in the name of jesus for emmanuel and his family as they as they just at the beginning both of these families of the grieving process lord bless them i i pray god for those in our church that are just wow just tired and and uh kind of burning the candle at both ends and and lord we just ask that you would help us to focus on you we pray in jesus name amen
Walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall But you have never failed me yet Waiting for change to come Knowing the battles won For you have never failed me yet Your promise still stands Great is your faithfulness Your faithfulness I'm still in your hands this is my confidence You've never failed me yet I know the night won't last Your word will come to my heart will sing your praise again Jesus, you're still enough Keep me within your love My heart will sing your praise again Your promise still stands Great is your faithfulness Your faithfulness I'm still in your hands This is my confidence You've never failed Your promise still stands Great is your faithfulness Oh, 
promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You've never Take a few moments, folks, and think about the faithfulness of God in your own lives. And there's an old hymn, Great is your faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, your hand has provided. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto me. And sometimes we forget, sometimes we, we uh, lose sight of the past and, and reviewing the faithfulness of God in our lives. But take a few moments and do that with me. Father, we're so grateful and so thankful. For Lord, uh, though in our own intellect perhaps we try and dispute it, uh, though the flesh would, would rise up and try to challenge it, though the enemy would try to, to say it's not true, Lord, if we honestly look at our lives, we can see your hand, we can see your providence, we can see your provision and your, your presence and your, your power in our lives. And we're so grateful, God. Um, and, and in this time, we, we have a little bit more focus on those things, perhaps, and uh, we, can, we can review a little bit more easily. But we can lose sight just so quickly. So God, forgive us. And we're so thankful. And we just worship you today. And we praise you today that even though we can be in storms, even though we can be in trials, we can review and say, but God has been faithful. God will be faithful. He will not deny his, his, himself. He will do not, not deny his own nature. Of faithfulness so we remind ourselves of that today O oh God and uh, Lord uh, our hearts are grieved as we survey the world scene and we look at what's gone on in in Beirut in Lebanon and the thousands of people who are displaced and without uh, the basic essentials uh, food and clothing and water and uh, uh, many people lost their lives oh God over a hundred it seems and we just look at the damage and the destruction caused and lord uh, we pray for people in that city and in that country and we pray for hope 
to be on the horizon, O oh God, and and uh, Lord, that you would be with people who have who have suffered this tremendous loss, Lord. It's it's you can't even use words to describe the destruction that 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 has happened there, and and so we pray for them, O oh God, and. Um, Use us in practical ways, Father, in our, in our own communities uh, around the world. Use us to be a blessing and to be a vessel for what you want to do in this world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome again, and thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, it is great to be with you, and uh, those of you who are just looking in now, we have been away for a couple of weeks, and wow, this is the first time uh, that we have taken two Sundays off and two weeks off uh, in four years since we launched the church, which is going to be four years old the third weekend of September. So thank you everyone uh, who's part of this church already for your prayers and your encouragement, and uh, it's always good to to take that time and to rest and rejuvenate, and I hope that you've been able to do the same. Uh, I check in with some of you on Facebook and uh, see what you're doing, and I see people are trying and trying to to rest and to rejuvenate and all of that, even in, in this crazy time uh, that we live in. So um, good to be back with you, and I encourage you to share this feed. Uh, this is live on Facebook. This is not pre-produced. Um, and so we encourage you to share it. Uh, this is going to be a blessing to somebody else, not just for you. And I challenge you to do your part in reaching the one who is far from God so that together we would become passionate followers of Jesus. There's these things called watch parties uh, and whatever you want to do on whatever uh, platform. This is going to be recorded and put on our our website and it will be on the Podbean and Apple podcast platforms as well. There's going to be some announcements that come on your screen if you're brand new with us. Uh, today, then I invite you to send a text message to the phone number that's going to appear on your screen. Ah, I see it's already there. And that is uh, reach the one is the key phrase to 514-900-0130. And you're going to receive a nice little gift via email and also access to a whole bunch of goodies once you get on our contact list. We do not have a paper bulletin. Uh, in our church, never have. It's all electronic. You'll get uh, emails and uh, um, text messages from me, and uh, that can be communicated to you very, very quickly, and it seems to be the most efficient way. So uh, if you get on our mailing list, you will have access to all that info, all right? And I encourage you to visit our website at citypointchurch.ca for updates, videos, and all of those things. Continue to pray for our missionaries, the Charbonneaux. You'll see their picture on the screen there in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And uh, they continue to do amazing work there. You can watch their service online. They're still publishing it online, as I discovered this morning. I didn't put the uh, the link on your screen there. But Église La Forteresse Page, and you can watch their service uh, online, get a feel for what they do. Pray for the mans as well. Uh, who are engaging in leadership training all around the world, uh, travel restrictions permitting, of course, and they're going to be based out of Canada here. And uh, another announcement for you, uh, help us do the move. So on the uh, 20th of September, 
We are anticipating our first Sunday back at Cineplex 1030. We are working through that with, uh, with the theater itself. And uh, in advance of that, we are going to move all of our gear from number 14, which is where we have been meeting, over to number 10. It's a bigger theater. will help us with the whole uh, uh, two-meter distancing that we are going to follow. And uh, it'll give us a, a lot more room and room to grow as well. So if you want to help us move all of that gear, including our stage, which is portable. We're going to be doing that move on Wednesday morning. It's a quiet day for the theater, August the 26th, all right? That's a lot of fun to do. I remember when we put that stage in just over a year ago, we had about 10 guys who showed up, and I think we did it in two hours. Uh, so even with less people, we can still uh, take our time. It's not a busy day for the theater. They are open to the public but uh, not a lot of hours, and of course, um, you know, they're playing movies from the 1980s and 1990s mostly, so not a lot of crowds there. But on the Wednesday morning, we will have time to do that move and uh, take our time. So if you want to help out, reach out to me and contact me. You can do so on our website. You can do so via text. All my contact information is there. Before uh, I talk to you about giving today, I want to talk to you about Beirut, and we'll put that announcement on the screen um, we are going to support the people in Beirut, Lebanon, through our humanitarian arm of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. If we can just make that announcement big and fill up the whole screen with it instead of the, the corner. Okay, perfect. Thank you from my technician. Um, and uh, so we're going to give through Emergency Relief and Development Overseas, otherwise known as ERDO, and that is our humanitarian arm of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, and they are, are have set this up. This is going to be a one-to-one. There is a, an organization that is providing matching donation. So if we give $1, it'll turn into two. This is food. This is clothing. This is uh, uh, water. These are the basics. There are thousands of people who are completely displaced. Their lives have been flipped on their heads. They've lost loved ones. It is an absolute, indescribable uh, catastrophe over there. And so uh, we're able to help out in a practical way here from Canada by giving uh, to ERDO, E-R-D-O. So the way that you can do that uh, electronically, and we'll put that announcement uh, on the screen, how to give. And um, the way you can do that is simply put a message in your electronic donation. If you're giving via e-transfer, just put ERDO there, and I will know that it goes to Beirut. If you're giving via uh, PayPal, just put ERDO there. If you're mailing uh, uh, a check or you're, you're, you're bringing something over to my house, which is also my office, just put a note in there that says ERDO, and we will know where it goes. Again, this is a matching contribution, so $1 turns into 2 and we want to do uh, the best that we can. I know it's difficult to dig deep. Uh, in this time where everybody is tight, but uh, we're a lot better off than so many people around the world, and we can uh, be a blessing to people in a very practical way uh, through giving, and we will send that into Erdo as fast as we can get it, and we will send it electronically to them so that it will help uh, the people begin the recovery process in uh, Beirut. Uh, so we are continuing, and thank you, uh, by the way, before we get into the message, thank you for those of you, you're on my mind this morning, uh, those of you who have you've stayed faithful through, let's see, April, May, June, July, August, 
We were into five straight months of not meeting in person, and you have been faithful, and you have been generous, and you have stayed consistent, and that makes an enormous difference. Uh, whether it were regardless of the size of a church, it is a consistent discipline of generosity that fuels everything that we do. I have often said it. Uh, we talk about tenthing and tithing. Uh, the reality is that most people in most churches do not tenth. They do not give a tenth of their income. If everyone did, you would have worldwide revival. The things that the church would be able to accomplish uh, in their communities, churches, and around the world would would be absolutely astounding. Uh, but I, it's a discipline to get there. Uh, wherever you are at on your journey, consistency, consistency, and generosity fuels any church. And uh, this online platform that we're running now is all fueled by your donations and your generosity. So I want to thank you for being so consistent over the last five months. That'll turn into six as our first Sunday back, as long as everything goes well, will be September the 20th. 2020. All right, so we have um, taken a two-week break, and I trust you enjoyed the messages from Pastor Ron Rust and Pastor John Ippolito from Trinity Pentecostal Church in LaSalle and Laval Christian Assembly in Laval. And I know those two gentlemen personally, and I've heard great comments, and uh, so it's great to see that uh, you, you were blessed and challenged by their messages. And so we're going to continue our series uh, on the letters of Peter that we find in the Bible's New Testament. We have two letters from him, First and Second Peter. So we are on Second Peter, uh, and this is actually chapter 2 of Second Peter, and the title of the message today is Watch Out, False Prophets Ahead. Watch Out, False Prophets Ahead. And this is part eight, actually, of this sermon series. And just to give you a little bit of background, Peter is most likely writing from, nice map on the screen there, Thank you, Sarah, for doing all this technical work. And Janet also, who's behind the scenes there on Facebook, dialoguing with you as we do this live. Um, so uh, Peter is probably writing from Rome. That is a tip-off. Uh, he gives a bit of a clue. He calls it Babylon, where he's writing from, and probably he's referring to Rome. There's some debate about this, but it's likely true that he's writing from Rome. And in Second Peter, he senses that his his death is going to be soon. Nero is the emperor. Nero is particularly cruel to Christians. He persecutes Christians almost in delight. And Peter uh, would likely uh, pass away at the hands of Nero shortly. This was his feeling, his sentiment in the letter of Second Peter. So if you look at the map, you see... Uh, uh, Rome is in the northwest corner there, and uh, the churches that he's writing to are in the northeast corner of the map, in Pontus and Bithynia and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia. And uh, down south, uh, south, what is that, east, you see the city of Jerusalem. So just to give you a feel, and these people were living under persecution persecuted uh, uh, probably on two fronts. There were there was a segment of uh, ultra-religious uh, Judaism that persecuted 
the new movement of Christianity, a segment, I say, not the whole thing, of course, but a segment. And they're dealing with this persecution from Rome at the same time. And so this is kind of the context that Peter is writing in. These people are persecuted. And in his second letter uh, in chapter 1, you get this theme coming from Peter, and that is uh, he uses these words like remind, refresh, remember. He uses these types of words, Second uh, uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 12 to 15, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this tent of the body because I know that I will soon put it aside. You see, he senses that his, his death is coming. I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. So you've got to think of this as almost the last words of a man who wants to write to those who he loves, and he wants to leave something behind. And just think about that for a moment. If you were writing to people who you loved and you knew that sooner or later, and in this case sooner, you were going to leave this world, you were going to put that tent aside, what would you say to those who you loved? What would you communicate to them? What would you want to say to them? What would you want to remind them of? What would you want to refresh their memories about? What would you want them to remember? And it's interesting here that what Peter is going to do is he's going to talk to these people in very graphic terms about a subject that would seemingly be a minimal thing. Uh, for him. Why is he not going to talk to them about the persecution that's going to come? I mean, these people will deal with a vicious amount of persecution. Virtually all of them are going to lose their lives at the hand of, uh, of Rome. And Peter doesn't really write to them about this. Um, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem has not happened at this point. It's going to happen in the year AD 70. If, if God maybe has given Peter a glimpse of this, I mean, Jesus predicted the destruction of the temple. Seemingly, Peter would understand that. Peter doesn't talk to these believers about the destruction of the temple to come. That's like a, a almost a, an apocalyptic, in that sense of the word, uh, event that would happen just five years from when Peter is writing this letter. He's probably writing in A.D. 65. Uh, Nero would die in AD 68. Peter was was executed. At least very early Christian tradition holds at the hands of Nero. Uh, we're told that he was crucified and uh, was actually uh, requested uh, that Rome would crucify him upside down because he did not think it worthy to be crucified right side up in the sense of Jesus. Uh, that's the, the very early tradition in any case. And uh, Jesus even talked about this in, at the end of John's gospel. He says that someone's going to stretch out your hands, Peter, and take you where you don't want to go. And uh, so Peter's facing this, and yet he's not warning them about what you would think he would warn them about. What he warns them about is something far more dangerous than even them losing their lives at the hand of Rome, and that is false 
prophets, false prophets. He gives them a graphic warning, very graphic, about false prophets. This is the type of chapter uh, and the type of message that if you have kids around, you're going to want to help them interpret this because Peter is going to use very graphic language to describe these people and what they do and the results of what they do. And uh, it's it's really a difficult chapter to wrestle with in in this in this book, uh, but an extremely important one because it was extremely important to Peter that they understood this, and he will actually continue um, along this theme a little bit in chapter three and towards the end of the letter that we're going to look at next week. But this is a graphic warning about false prophets. Now, before we try and get into what Peter is teaching here, this word prophet, first of all, is is a difficult word to understand today in the 21st century, because when we think about prophet, things pop into our mind that aren't necessarily what you'll find in the Bible. So uh, let me put a couple of pictures on the screen. Here's Nostradamus. Uh, Maybe you've heard of him. And uh, he lived from 1503 to 1566. And Nostradamus, sometimes in popular culture, when we say the word prophet, uh, we often think of Nostradamus. Well, this wouldn't be a biblical definition of a prophet. Nostradamus was into the occult and into astrology and supposedly predicted all these things. And when you look at the supposed prophecies of Nostradamus, they can be kind of vague. Uh, They can be uh, almost like a cold reading, what you call a cold reading, where you you talk to someone and then you start to observe their personality and then you tell them, you know, you're going to marry a nice man in the future or maybe you won't or, you know, this is a kind of a cold reading style. Uh, which is just really a, a, a kind of a parlor trick that's done. And so Nostradamus would not be a prophet or a true prophet in a biblical sense. He may be a false prophet in a biblical definition, but certainly not a true prophet. Um, here you have another picture on the screen, and if you can fill up the screen with this so people can see his name there. Uh, this this gentleman is now quite in the news and quite famous in uh, in North America, and his name is Alan Lichtman, and Alan Lichtman has developed a a framework for predicting with essentially 100% accuracy who the president of the United States will be. And he's quite famous now because he predicted the uh, the presidency of the current president, Donald Trump, and even his impeachment from office, which has also taken place. And uh, much to everyone's uh, surprise, he got it right in 2016, and he has this book where he has 13 categories and if these six of these 13 or seven of these 13 are are met successfully uh, by whoever then that person will be uh, the president of the United States and so people say oh, wow he's a prophet he can predict the future and just so you know he is predicting that uh, Donald Trump will lose the upcoming election and we'll see if he's right or wrong in a couple of months but the Bible wouldn't talk about this person as being a true prophet either um, because what a prophet is, by biblical definition, we'll put that on the screen, this is one who speaks or who claims to speak 
on behalf of God, not on behalf of themselves, not on behalf of the stars, not on behalf of uh, some other force, not on behalf of some other God, but a prophet is someone who claims to speak on behalf of God. Now, uh, uh, some prophets are kind of reluctant. In fact, most of them in the Old Testament are reluctant. They didn't want the job. They didn't uh, aspire to it because most of the time the, the role of prophet came with persecution. It came with difficulty and it came with struggle. And when these prophets would get up and speak or write, or talk to a king, or uh, talk to the people, they would often have messages that would be very direct, that would uh, be very um, uh, along the lines of repentance. They would often remind the people, this is what the law of Moses said. You know what the law of Moses said. You are in violation of the law of Moses. And they were almost like these spiritual cops um, who would, who would, constantly be reminding the people and telling the people mostly of their negative behavior and of the things that they were doing uh, that weren't right, okay? So some of them would claim to speak on behalf of God as well. Some of them would be speaking on behalf of God and they wouldn't even make the claim. But you would know this person is clearly a prophet and a true prophet because they're speaking on behalf of God and what they're saying is correct. Uh, Or they would actually claim to speak on behalf of God. But when you talk about this word prophet, uh, that's what we mean, okay? Um, Now, a true prophet um, will, will speak on behalf of God, and what they will speak will be correct. It will line up with the Scripture, or in the sense of, in that time, what the Old Testament law would say. And it would line up, and the people would hear what was being spoken, and they would be able to say, yes, this lines up, and the community, Israel, would be able to say, yes, this lines up with what God is saying. Or uh, they would write, and the same thing would happen. It would line up with what God is saying. Now, at times, these prophets would also make predictions, and many people mistakenly think that uh, prophets in the Bible are all about predictions, and if you get a prediction right, well, that must make you a true prophet of God. Well, they spent most of their time simply re-preaching and restating what the law said to Israel, Uh, but they would also make predictions. And we do see this throughout the Old Testament. Just take the case of Jesus. I mean, there are hundreds of predictions about Jesus in the Old Testament. They're very minute, some of them. They're very small, uh, but some of them are big. There's a famous one in Isaiah chapter 53, for example, which is a piece of predictive prophecy by the prophet Isaiah about the suffering servant who would come. Um, So they would sometimes predict the future and they would say, because Israel, you are doing such and such and you are in violation of what God has already told you to do, this is what God is going to do. And this would be a piece of predictive prophecy and they would never, never make a mistake, uh, a true prophet of God. By contrast, then, because this is what Peter is talking about, what is a false prophet? 
Well, there are two categories, really. You have prophets who are prophesying on the, in the name of other gods. So they will say things uh, on behalf of whatever god of, that's there in the Old Testament that isn't Yahweh. So Baal was a, a very prominent uh, deity. There were, there were dozens of them that are mentioned in the Old Testament. And, and all of these religions and and polytheistic views would have their own prophets and their own people who would speak on behalf of their own gods. And the Bible would call this a false prophet, not a true prophet, because they weren't speaking in the name of Yahweh. And then there would be prophets who would claim to speak in the name of Yahweh, in the name of God, but they were not speaking in his name. They would make the claim. They would look the part. They would present themselves as a prophet of Yahweh, but they were not true. The things that they were saying would not line up with the character and nature of God, uh, and they would be false prophets if they made predictions. Sometimes their predictions would come true. Sometimes their predictions would not come true. But in the Old Testament, any time a so-called prophet of the true God, Yahweh, makes a prediction that does not come to pass, that person would be regarded immediately as a false prophet. So again, prophets of other gods, prophets claiming to speak in God's name, but are not. Now, in today's world, because this is where Peter is trying to write to, he, he wants people to remember this after he's gone. Presumably, all people, and not just the people in the immediate audience that he's writing to, that's why we have his letter, it's preserved for us. When we talk about this today, and we talk about false prophets today, here's one of the big mistakes that we make. Miracles and correct predictions are not necessarily proof of a true prophet. And we today run after uh, the miraculous and anyone who supposedly is whatever putting their hands on people and praying for people and there are supposedly miracles that are happening and this person made this prediction about something and the something came to pass and immediately because we're so desirous of these things we immediately start following after these folks and we think this is a true prophet of God and in some ways we stop thinking and we take our brain out and we stop discerning. We say, it doesn't matter. There's miracles. There's signs. There's wonders. There's correct predictions. It's impossible. This has to be true. This has to be of God. This person has to be a true prophet. And this is what makes them so dangerous in the mind of Peter. Sometimes they're going to do the, 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 the miraculous thing. I mean, in the Bible, we see that even, even the devil himself is able to do supernatural things and able to do the miraculous. That, that is no proof of someone being true because something happens and there's some kind of supernatural thing that happens when they pray for someone or that is no demonstration of proof positive this person is truly a true prophet of God not necessarily and if a person predicts something and this something happens that is not proof positive that what they, that they are a true representative of God 
And we see this uh, in the Bible. False prophets will sometimes get it right, but true prophets never, ever get it wrong. And that is crucial for us. Don't be so quick to follow after this evangelist and this pastor and this writer and so on and so on just because, wow, there's supernatural that has happened. Okay, discern as well. And this is what Peter wants us to do. So there is a particular kind of false prophet that Peter is speaking about here, a particular kind. And I say that because... In some ways, this idea of false prophet is easy to identify, and in some ways it isn't. And in Peter's presentation here in 2 Peter 2, he's talking about a a particular kind of false prophet that is difficult to to discern and to, to recognize, and this is what makes them so, so dangerous, okay? So just to distinguish between these things. So if you look at, at um, uh, the various cults and the popular cults of the modern, the modern world, okay, I'll mention two of them uh, by name, the, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses, which is the Watchtower uh, organization, and uh, the Mormons. Now, now they're more officially called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now, these are uh, uh, cults in a theological sense and in a sociological sense, okay? So, uh, especially Jehovah's Witnesses. So, I say a theological sense because the Jehovah's Witnesses will will teach things that are incorrect and false about Jesus. Jesus is not the Son of God. Jesus is not God in his essence. Uh, uh, there's no uh, uh, hell. Uh, there's no eternal uh, judgment after death. They reorient the, the crucifixion. They play with the whole nature uh, of Jesus, and, and they... they, they change all of this stuff and they actually use the bible they use a a particular translation of the bible which is unique to them and this is a cult in a theological sense for that reason but also a sociological sense because once you get in you have to inundate yourself with their material you can't read somebody else's material you can't look you can't explore for yourself you must do things their way uh exactly their way and if you're caught exploring you're going to get in serious, serious trouble to the point where you could get excommunicated. Even your friends and your family will like disown you. Okay, that's a cult in a sociological sense as well. Mormonism, the theology is polytheistic. Mormons believe in many gods. They believe that they can become a god. They believe uh, different things about Jesus uh, than what is taught in historic Christianity. Uh, they teach a kind of a self-atonement for sin as well. And so this is, this is a cult in a theological sense. And they use the Bible, but they also use the Book of Mormon. Sociologically, a little bit different. They allow some freedom uh, within their, their, their community for people to, to think on their own. But still, in a theological sense, you're dealing with a clear, clear deviation. Okay, uh, Islam denies that Jesus is the Son of God, denies that Jesus was crucified on the cross. Uh, And so there is a clear, it's clearly obvious to say you're dealing with teaching here that is off, and it's way, way, way off. That's not what Peter, though, is talking about when he talks about these false prophets. He's talking about something that is more difficult to recognize and in some ways more difficult 
dangerous. So let me give you four signs of a false prophet from 2 Peter chapter 2. Number one, they come from within the church. They come from within. They don't come from the outside to try and infiltrate the church. They come actually from inside the church and then move out. So it's kind of the reverse. So 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. And this is after he's trying to remind them of uh, that, that they were eyewitnesses of Jesus and trying to remind them of the truth that they know. He says, but there were also false prophets among the people, among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. And he tends to use prophet and teacher interchangeably, Peter does, among you. So they're on the inside. It's not easy to recognize when they're on the inside. And that may be a little bit frightening for us, but Peter's intent is not to frighten us. It's to help us to realize and help us to be sober and understanding and discerning. They're from within. And this is why he viewed this as so destructive, because if these false prophets were from within the church, then they could destroy the church very, very successfully and with great efficiency, even at its beginning there in the first century. And the same is true today. Um, if you, I'll put it to you this way, okay? If you were the devil, and I know that sounds really, really weird to say, but if you were the devil, which would you choose if you wanted to destroy the church? Would you come up with some kind of false religion and, and crazy belief system and whatever, some kind of new religion and some kind of new cult and foist it on the minds of people? Okay, that would be one approach. Or would you, from within the church, stir up destruction? from within using individuals from within the church that would be a very efficient strategy to create havoc and destruction and this is precisely what what peter is warning them about they come from within the church uh, let me give you uh, an illustration of this that's that's uh, again somewhat graphic um, we, we hear a lot about, and it's really every few months that we hear of this, and we hear about these abuse scandals uh, within uh, uh, religious contexts. And some people mistakenly think that, well, it's the Roman Catholic Church where we see all this abuse of children, and it's their fault, and it's them, them, them. Uh, this isn't true. Uh, abuse of, of every kind happens within every uh, uh, context, sociologically speaking. It, it's not restricted to the church. But when it happens in church settings, Catholic, Protestant, doesn't matter. When it happens within them, it happens from people typically who are trusted and people who are already uh, recognized and already respected. And they are typically the ones who end up being the predators who abuse and commit these heinous acts toward, uh, toward uh, children, adults, whatever, because they're from within, you see. And Peter is saying, watch 
out, watch out. They come from within. Scary, but sobering. Number two, their motivation is not good. Okay, it's not good. I've met some very, very sincere Jehovah's Witnesses. I've met some very sincere um, uh, Mormons. I've met some very sincere Muslims. I've met some very sincere Hindus and Buddhists and Sikhs. And uh, their intention is not to deceive or destroy or anything like that. I, I, in my view, they're teaching things that are clearly opposed to the Bible, but they're not the kind of false teacher, false prophet that Peter is talking about here. He is talking about people whose intention, whose motivation is to deceive, to steal, to manipulate, to cause destruction. That is their motivation. And sometimes we close our eyes to this and we say, no, that's impossible. It can't be. It can't be that there would be people from within the church who would want to steal and manipulate and cause destruction and deceive. It can't be. It's impossible. These people are from within the church. It can't happen. My friends, that is very, very naive thinking, and Peter is trying to warn them and tell them these people their motive is not good. I don't know if you've ever been lied to or tricked or deceived by someone who has professed to be a Christ follower. I have, and uh, being in the ministry for two decades, I have, and I have, I have seen it. I've also seen it in multiple church contexts where I visited or preached in, even in different countries where I've done a you know couple of missions trips. It this is not uncommon, folks. And when it happens, and when you feel that sense of I was deceived, I was manipulated, I was lied to by someone who called themselves. A Christ follower, it hurts in a, in a in a particular way. It's one thing to face that from someone who you know the no religious view or an atheist or whatever, but it's another to face it from someone who calls himself a follower of Jesus and who's a leader. And this is what he's talking about here. Their manip- their motivation is not good. Don't be naive. So verse three. In their greed, in their greed, that's a bad motive. These teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Verse 3. In verse uh, 14, where is it? Yeah, verse 14. With eyes full of adultery, my goodness, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed. That's bad motivation. An accursed brood. I mean, that is harsh, harsh language. Verse 18, for they mouth empty and boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. And so their motivation is not good. Uh, uh, Jesus talked about how the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. That is the motivation of these kinds of false prophets that are mentioned in Second Peter chapter 2. It is a bad 
bad motivation. Do not kid yourselves. Do not be naive, he's saying. It can happen, and it can happen from within. Watch out. Number three, they diminish the deity of Jesus. So this is common in every single cult, every single faith system uh, that opposes Christianity around the world is that Jesus is not God. You see it in every single one. Uh, uh, The Watchtower, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, every world religion, Jesus is not God. Some will go so far as to say he's the son of God, but by son of God, they do not mean that he is God. They mean that he's a created being. The Watchtower will teach that Jesus is the son of God, but by that, he is a little God who was created by the big God. And this is a clearly, clearly false teaching, but you will see this across the board, but you will also see this, Peter says, from these false teachers who are from within. They will diminish the deity of Jesus. And you see this in verse 1. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. They will deny the, the, the power of Jesus, the power of Yahweh, and they will diminish who Jesus is. Let me give you an example of this in some of the teaching that I have heard. I could name names of people this morning, but I don't want to do that. I want you to learn to discern what's true and what's false in terms of people who make all of these claims of being prophets. My goodness, what a time we live in. Look around on social media. Look even on the television. You've got people claiming to be prophets left, right, and center. It's interesting. I haven't heard one who has who accurately predicted that the pandemic would come. Not one. I've seen one or two who now in the month of June, July, and August are saying, well, back in December, I had a dream. And back in December, I had a vision. And, you know, thus saith God. And and now we see people who are saying, you know, God wants all the churches open and we have to open the churches by force. Thus saith God. And you got another one who says, no, we shouldn't. And, you know, everyone is throwing in this thing of God told me implying that they're a prophet and you got to be very very careful when you start invoking the name of god on your own personal view if you do that and you're inaccurate in what you're saying what you're saying is false it is an abuse of the name of god and people who teach and i teach every every sunday uh, tomorrow i'll be back on the on video every day with your questions god's questions and i'm always reminded of the verse from james do not presume to be teachers because teachers will be judged more strictly or teaching what God is supposedly saying, we've got to be really, really careful. So I don't want to name names. I want you to learn to discern. But let me tell you of some of the things that I've heard that diminish the nature of Jesus and his deity. One of them that's that's still around today is that when Jesus died, his death on the cross was a payment to Satan and that his his 
it, it was to to uh, give a ransom to Satan to set people free from Satan's grip. Excuse me? This is a diminishing of the nature of Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, his death was paid to God to appease the wrath of God against our sin. When we make Jesus out to be this sort of superhero who's, you know, kind of wrestling with the devil and stealing his keys and paying him a ransom or something, this this diminishes the nature and the power of Jesus. That is not who he is. When we say that, you know, I've heard people say that Jesus and and the archangel Michael are brothers. That is a diminishing of the nature of Jesus. When people say that Jesus is a created God, that diminishes Jesus' nature, okay? When this happens, you've got to be really, really careful because those things are opposed to historic, essential Christian truth. The deity of Jesus is, is a, uh, we cannot compromise on this in any way, shape, or form. And when someone is doing that, then essentially they're doing this idea that Paul talked to the Corinthians, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The acknowledgement of the deity of Christ is through the power of the spirit when we when we stop doing that and we diminish the nature of Jesus what we're doing there is not of God and this is what false prophets do number 4 they conversely they inflate humanity especially themselves so chapter 2 and verse uh, verse 10 uh uh, those who follow the corrupt uh, desire of the sinful nature and despise authority, bold and arrogant, these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings. And it's difficult to understand what beings he's talking about, but note the boldness and the arrogance of these false teachers and these false prophets and how they they slander even celestial angelic beings. That's because they're bold and they're arrogant and they augment themselves and they augment humanity. Verse 18, again, they appeal to the lustful desires of the sinful human nature and they entice people. And so what are they doing there? They're making themselves out to be bigger than they are. They're making themselves out in many ways to be like God. And I've heard it this way uh, when it is when it is taught today. You are, if you're a Christian, you are a little God. You can do all of the things that Jesus did because you are a son of God, just like Jesus was the son of God. You're the same as him now. And you can do all the same things that Jesus did if you just understand that you're a little God as a son or a daughter of God. Uh, I've heard people say this, that when Jesus did all those miracles, he didn't do them as God. He just did them as a fully obedient man to the 
Father. And if you will be a fully obedient daughter or son of God, you'll do the exact same things that Jesus did even more because that's who you are. You are a clone of Jesus, my friends. When you hear that kind of stuff, you the, the red light needs to go on in your head and in your soul. Do, 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 do. That is a problem. When Jesus did those miracles, he did them as a demonstration of his deity. And that's what the people understood. When the apostles in the book of Acts did those miracles, they immediately deflected the attention to Jesus as the risen God and Savior. And it was him doing those miracles through their hands as a vessel. And what happens with the false prophet and the false teacher is they give this impression to us that we're something in our essence that we're not. You are not a little God. You you cannot push God around at your beck and call. And when you when you think that, you're you're falling into an error that can bring destruction. Be very, very careful. So they come from within, their motivation is not good. They will sometimes in the same swoop diminish who Jesus is and augment who we are falsely. And you say, well, wow, that's really strong stuff, but where where does that leave me? What is the encouragement for me today? Um, uh, Peter gives it to us. Are we going to be those who are going to fall for this, or are we going to remain godly? And um, uh, by this, I'll use this term, can we develop a spiritual backbone today? And we'll put that, that slide on the screen. Can we develop a spiritual backbone? So what Peter does here, and it's it, he gives interesting examples. And if you read the book of Jude, Jude is very, very similar. And some think that Jude was giving this information to Peter while he was in some type of prison in Rome. That's why Second Peter and Jude are very, very similar. But he will give a couple of examples here and he uses the example of Noah and the example of Lot. It's very, very uh, interesting and you can get bogged down in trying to understand all of this, but he cites a few examples. So verse four, he starts there and he says, if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them into hell in the English translation, the Greek word there is Tartarus, which is a really interesting word that's only used there in the New Testament. And he seems to be referring here to something that happened in Genesis chapter 6 and how these angelic uh, beings uh, uh, were with these these humans and so on. You have to read it in Genesis chapter 6. He seems to be referring to that, but we're not sure. But the point is that the, these angelic beings sinned somehow and they were punished by God. And then he cites another example and he says, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly so he's talking about the flood from the book of Genesis. And notice he says the ancient world. He's not talking about a local flood. He's talking about a global flood there, some big, big, big event. But he did not spare that world, but he protected 
Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. And then he gets into another example. These are all out of the early chapters of the book of Genesis. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, I mean, graphic, graphic stuff there. If you read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in the Old Testament, and if he rescued Lot, And he talks about Lot here as a righteous man. Yet when you read about Lot in the book of Genesis, he doesn't seem very, very righteous. And you wonder, how could he refer to Lot as being righteous? And you have to go back into Genesis, read Genesis 13 through about Genesis 19 to see what Lot did. Uh, Yeah, he was rescued from the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, but he wasn't very righteous, so we wonder what was Peter talking about. He's, it seems like Lot didn't have very much of a spiritual backbone, and yet Noah did. Now, the question for us today is, are we going to remain godly even though we live in this challenging, challenging time where there can be these false prophets and false teachers. And to do that means we've got to develop a spiritual backbone. And I'll phrase it this way. Do you want to be like Noah or do you want to be like Lot? Uh, In many ways, Lot, if if you compare him to the, the, the people in Sodom and Gomorrah, you could make a case, I suppose, that he was righteous compared to them. Um, but in many ways, he let Sodom slip into his veins. I mean, he let he let himself be corrupted. And here in in Second uh, Peter chapter two, it says he was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. And you see this in his behavior. I mean, the man does some unmentionable things, really. And it's like the it's like Sodom kind of seeped into his heart uh, over time. But that wasn't the case with Noah. Noah, he has what you would call a spiritual backbone. So he continues in the will of God in spite of what's going on around him. He continues to be obedient and do what God says and to build that ark and to bring his family into it. He continues to be a preacher of righteousness, much to the chagrin of everybody else around him. And he, he has quite a spiritual backbone, not a perfect man by any sense, but he has that backbone. And my question, my challenge to you today is, are you going to develop a spiritual backbone today? I have seen, I think, more people than I could count who have been tricked, deceived, stolen from, abused by false spiritual leaders, by false spiritual teachers over the years, and it's cost them hundreds into thousands of dollars sometimes as they run around from conference to conference and, you know, give this money and pay this money and your loved one or you will be healed and they paid the money and nothing happened and they realized in the end that they were tricked and they realized in the end that they were ripped off and they become bitter uh, towards God, bitter toward the church as a result. Um, are, are you going to, to take that route or are you going to develop a spiritual backbone because that's really what's necessary today is we've got to say, you know what, we're going to keep on discerning what we hear. We're going to keep on discerning who we read and what we follow and what we're looking at on social media. We're going to continue to do what we know we should do 
uh, as followers of Jesus. And when we don't, we can get tripped up so, so quickly. And this is the, this is the heart of Peter uh, in this chapter is he wants us to remain vigilant. Get yourself some spiritual backbone. Develop boundaries as to, no, I'm not going to listen to this part of what this person is teaching. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, no, that's not right what they're saying. And I'd be very careful what I'm looking at on the television, what I'm looking at on social media and the books that I'm reading. I'm going to continue to think as a Christian. Just because there's power and just because there's miracles and just because there's a supernatural, it doesn't mean that I throw out what the Bible says. It doesn't mean that I throw out what it's trying to teach me. It doesn't mean that I'm going to say, well, Jesus is less than who he is and I'm more than who the Bible says I am. No, we're going to stay within that framework and remain godly. We're going to continue to be like Noah who was a preacher of righteousness and said, God, I'll do what you want me to do and continue to do that, even with all the voices around me who might be telling me something different. I'm going to raise my children to teach them to discern. I'm going to teach them to think about what they believe. I'm going to teach them to not follow everything that they hear and everything that they see, but to continue to stay in God's Word and to have that boundary and to have that framework. You know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to avoid false teachers and false prophets and false preachers. We're supposed to say, I'm staying away from that and here is why. And parents out there, you've got a responsibility. Teach your children to think about what they believe. Think about what you believe. It's not as complicated as you realize. And God wants to build people who are going to be able to articulate their faith and defend their faith and say, this here is true and this here is false. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So, Father, I pray for everyone who is watching, those who will watch, those who, are, who, who will listen. And I pray, God, that you would just challenge us and you would infuse into us uh, a new desire, O oh God, to be passionate about you in the way of understanding truth. And Lord, you would give people discernment. You would give people backbone and courage to say, I believe these things and I reject these other things. And you would teach people, Lord, to discern through the power of your spirit. I pray for children, O oh God, who are growing up in a, in, a, in a household that names Christ and are thinking about all of these things and trying to learn what they believe. Lord, may we be presenting truth. I pray for those, God, who have experienced abuse, who have experienced spiritual manipulation, who have experienced the very same thing that Peter talks about 2,000 years ago. They've experienced it today, and they have bitterness toward the church, bitterness toward you as a result. God, would you break that in their heart and give them a fresh desire to seek after the real you, 
God and the real follower of Jesus and to to learn to grow that relationship with you again God and we just are so thankful Lord that um, you you teach us uh, to to continue to think and continue to follow with our heart our soul and our mind and to love you oh god give us discernment in this time and in this day help us lord even as we have conversations with people who who are no religious view whatsoever and they wonder what we believe god help us to be those who would present it in a way that honors you and that worships you we pray in the name of jesus amen Amen. Well, God bless you today, and thank you again so much for tuning in. Not too late to share this with others or when it's posted on our page to share it with others afterward. God bless you. I'll be with you every day this week for more of your questions, God's questions. So you can check us out on Facebook. And until then, God bless you, everyone, and have a great Sunday.